Hello, everybody. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you're listening to another episode of Gray Mirror, a new podcast from MIT Media Lab's Digital Currency Initiative on Technology, Society, and Ethics, where we look at both the positive and negative impacts of technology. So in today's episode, I interview Nadia Eggball, who works in research at Protocol Labs, and we chat about two big things. First, why she gives grants to people on the internet, which I just think is so awesome. It's an abundant mindset. It's so crucial to our future. Woohoo, go Nadia. And then second, um, specifically about her work, thinking about the economics of open source, how we fund digital infrastructure. So both of them are really exciting, and you'll hear my passion and Nadia's passion about them in today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Gray Mirror. I'm very excited to welcome Nadia Eggball to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to dive in. Um, and these two buckets, I think that there's the research and, uh, you know, the grant research and the open source economic research. Um, and then there's also the kind of the abundant mindset and giving grants to people on the internet side. So let's actually start with that. Um, and so just at a high level, could you explain um, kind of, your some of these grants that you've given through this like helium grants program and kind of your mindset behind it sure yeah it kind of just started as a fun experiment on the internet um as most things start <laughs> where it's just sort of like well i had had this experience right out of college where i'd gotten this grant um from a foundation to basically just like pursue a project of my own choosing and that was like a larger sized grant um it was like thirty six thousand uh, dollars but it's just a really impactful experience for me coming right out of college to basically be told like we believe in you and you should just kind of run with whatever you're thinking about um and so yeah kind of i guess this was maybe last year I, I was thinking it'd be really nice to be able to like give that to someone else um and didn't really want to go through any sort of red tape around foundations or giving or anything like that and i was just sort of like why can't i just transfer some of my money to someone else out there on the internet um and so i announced this sort of project to just uh I was giving out three different um, $5,000 grants and you know, anyone could apply for it. If you're working on a project you're excited about and can't stop thinking about. Um, I naively thought that, you know, maybe I would get like, I don't know, like a hundred applications or something over the course of a month. But of course I got like a zillion more. Um, and it was a really cool experience. Um, I think I went through like 2000 applications of people um, selected three grantees and had so much fun doing it that I figured I would just kind of keep going with it. Um, and so this year I did it as, um, thousand dollar grants, uh, given out once every three months and anyone else on the internet can also help sponsor their own grant. Um, so collectively we've given out, I think like 25 grants at this point. Um, and yeah, I guess the idea was just sort of like, what does it mean to give someone no strings attached capital? And, uh, maybe that speaks to sort of like that abundant mindset of, um, yeah, what's sort of like the extreme edge of <laughs> abundant or no strings attached um, where, yeah, you're like, you're just sort of just like funding interesting people and good ideas. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that there's also two two things that come to my mind immediately here. The first is you experienced it yourself, which is, hey, oh, you got this relatively no strings attached grant. And then after experiencing it yourself, you're like, oh my God, I'd love to like pass this on to someone else. Um, and I think this is this mindset of like, where the abundance kind of begets more abundance. Um, another example is like my friend, they're, they're, they're staying for free in this other person's house. And because they're staying for free in this person's house, they have more money. And then they're like giving that money to people. And so it's like, there's this kind of weird loop where like the abundance brings more abundance. Um, and then like you're saying, I think the no strings attached part is very interesting where it is 
Um, like I think the classic example of this is the direct giving things like give directly where you um, essentially put the cash transfer systems or you essentially direct, you know, directly transfer cash from um, usually someone in a developing country to someone in a developed country like rural Kenya is where um, most of give directly works. And you essentially just give them um, money and you say, hey, I don't actually know whether you need medicine or food or whatever. So like, here's the money, do with it what you will. Um, how has that been like for you with these grants? Um you know, could you tell me a little bit more about like the kinds of people that you funded and and what the like no strings attached allowed them to do? Yeah, um, the dis- figuring out a decision making framework for myself was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, I kind of told myself, you know, when you see it, you see it, and I'm sure, like, you know, I'll just like feel who the right people are. Um, but there's so many awesome people that applied that it, it, getting down to the the finals was um, actually really difficult. Um, I was generally looking for people that are, I guess maybe a way of putting it is they're sort of like undervalued right now, if that makes sense, where mm-hmm. um, they show some high degree of self-motivation or interest or excitement on a topic. They're sort of like obsessed with something, um, which I guess like some people might just call like passion or something like that. <laughs> I just want something where they like, there was a high degree of intrinsic motivation to like, yeah, go deep on something. Um, and if they had a project that I felt wasn't the kind of thing that people that they could normally get funding from elsewhere. Um, and so, yeah, that, that kind of narrowed down the, the pool quite a bit. And so the kinds of things that would fund would, uh, or things like someone is, um, working on a writing project, And this is actually one of my favorite ones is uh, like, she just like had a, a child and needed childcare. Mm. Um, but which is like not the kind of thing that someone would fund directly, but, uh, is sort of like a, I guess like an, an extra resources capital kind of thing that like, if you had a lot of money, you would just, you know, hire someone for childcare so you can focus on finishing your thesis or whatever, but like you can't otherwise do. Um, there are people who are doing like, uh, there's one woman we funded this last round who did, uh, like a circus strong woman training act, which is also like the kind of thing that like, it's not like she has this huge following or anything, but she's just like really obsessed with the idea of creating like a strong woman, uh, circus act, which like doesn't really exist right now. Um, so yeah, just sort of like, there's a kind of a wide range of like odd, yeah. <laughs> odd and interesting projects. Um, yeah, a lot of them were kind of more research oriented. Um, so people that wanted to needed funding for like doing some sort of like strange experiment research wise that they might not be able to justify to a more traditional, um, grant funder. Um, yeah, yeah. it reminds me of, um, the, um, Tyler Cohen has this emergent ventures thing, which sounds, it it sounds like a similar mindset where it's like, Hey, these are places where traditional grant programs wouldn't fund you. So like, Hey, crazy people or, or slash really passionate people or really obsessed people or whatever you want to call it, you know, come here and we like, we might give you money for your things that wouldn't, that traditional grant systems wouldn't give you. Um, so I think, I think that's a good, um, way to kind of narrow down the population. And I guess just coming back to like for you personally after doing this, was it, I guess, um, yeah, did you feel, did it, did, did you feel like your mindset changed at all around like your relationship with money? Um, and cause you're essentially just, cause not that many people, um, just give money away, you know, like maybe when you're older, like the, the society tells us to accumulate wealth and to, um, and to save money, uh, for retirement and for kids and things. And then once you retire, then maybe you can start to do like more charity stuff. But like, 
especially for young people, I don't think that lots of young people are just actively giving their money away. So did you, how did it, did it change your relationship with money at all? Or how, how has your mindset changed as you um, went through this process? Definitely changed my relationship to money in a, a couple of different directions. Um, one being that I, I mean, I feel like it's, I definitely like double down on my belief that we should be doing more people should just be doing more things like this. Um, and I guess going back to that abundant mindset, like I only put in like actually like a small amount of this funding, um, like random people on the internet and friends and things like that, like have reached out and like sponsored other grants. Um, and I, yeah, I love the idea that just sort of like, uh, I, I love the idea of just like more individuals giving these sort of like, you know, medium sized micro grants to other people around the world. And that's the sort of thing that I just kind of want to like unlock more of because yeah, I mean, like you said, I think like only usually like very wealthy people might be involved in the idea of patronage usually. Um, and then you have stuff like Kickstarter. That's I guess more like crowdfunded um, projects, but sort of like direct one-to-one transfers of something in the like thousand to multi-thousand dollar range between people is like incredibly impactful, but it just seems like why would more people just not like casually do that? If like for some people who are not like extremely wealthy, but like comfortable, you know, giving someone a thousand dollars to do something that, you know, would really change their trajectory is not a crazy idea. And I would just love to see like more people doing that. And that's very different from how we traditionally think about philanthropy. And I think like for people like, I guess sort of like young people in my uh, sort of range, like we think about giving back or, <clears throat> or giving to charity is like, I need to find a nonprofit to donate to or mm-hmm. something like that. And I would just like really like people to sort of like expand their, their idea of like, what can I actually do with my capital? It doesn't always just have to be like donating to some feel good cause, which is all like, I also do that. Um, but you can get like really creative with like how you, how you leverage your capital. So I feel like that's like one aspect in which, um, it just sort of like strengthened my belief in um, individual philanthropy. Um, but on the other end, like it also helped me realize that I, like capital is kind of just one part of the equation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I purposely wanted this to be very, very broad and very like no strings attached in the sense that um, I just wanted to see like what the edge looked like of like super, super open and unfiltered giving. Um, but in the past couple of years, I think I've come to realize that like, and it, it sounds like the first time I heard someone say this, I thought it was kind of ridiculous, but now I think I believe it more that uh, like money is actually kind of everywhere and capital is really abundant. But like the part that's very rare is um, connections and getting your foot in the door and like getting introduced to the right people, ending up in kind of like the right circles. And so something that I feel like I didn't get so much from healing grants is like, I wanted it to be, you know, here's the money and like go off and do your thing. Like, you know, you don't owe me anything. Um, but I actually found that like, it would be, I think more beneficial to spend more time with those grantees or, uh, just sort of like follow their trajectories more. And I think that's something that Tyler is doing with, um, emergent ventures, which I think is cool. Um, of just, yeah, like you, it's, it's not just giving someone a check and then walking away. It's like, you should be kind of investing a little bit more in their story. And, um, yeah. And, and I think like that is an aspect of philanthropy that isn't, as discussed or appreciated is it's not just about the capital. It's about like that side of it. Um, and so that's something that I, I feel like I am not getting as much from healing grants and that I would like to explore more. Yeah. That's interesting. I think when there's a bunch of juicy stuff there, the first, I mean, the first is, as you say, I think we have this mindset and you, you talked about like people in, you know, let's say, 
people in America who are pretty well off, let's call them just like a random developer or like a random um, person in, at Wall Street or whatever. It's like for them to, um, you don't need to be in the top, top. You don't need to be a billionaire in order to give. You know, it's like you can just, if you're making whatever, you know, like six figures a year, then you can definitely give um, some of your money to people. And I think that yeah, people don't, um, they don't, it doesn't like quite click for them that they, that it's actually possible to do that. Um, and then the other thing that you said was, yeah, when they give, it's like, okay, if I decide I am going to give, where can I give? And there's the traditional nonprofit thing. But as you say, it's like, no, you can just give to random people, <laughs> um, whether it's your friends or whether it's people on the internet or whatever. Like, um, I think that kind of, and, and this reminds me of one of my mentors talked about how his giving process is just so fun. Like you, for you to look through all these, all these different applications and to, to decide what to give to, it's just like, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do. Um, so I think that's, I super agree with that. And then this final piece of how much does the capital matter versus the connections? Um, and, and yeah, it's kind of weird when people tell us, Hey, um, you know, capital is abundance, you know, that, that, that phrase seems, um, kind of not very not true in many ways in terms of oh so much of america has debt and so much all of our you know national debt you know china owns so much of america or whatever and like there's still so much need in the world um but especially for kind of our edge of where the future is not evenly distributed but like in our edge it's like it does feel like it's kind of um abundant and then as you give it to people you can like say hey here's a thousand bucks but what they actually need is those connections. I think that the, the maybe the only differentiation I'd make is if you're giving to someone to support like deep basic needs, like with the Give Directly program for folks in like rural Kenya or Uganda, then the money matters a lot, a lot. And the connections that might not matter as much. But for some of the folks that you're giving to, kind of the um, ecosystem of support is what matters. Is that is that right? Yeah, I definitely think that's right. Yeah. So did you, I guess... One question I have is, did you feel like, I guess, do you miss the money? <laughs> yeah. um, no. And I think it's to that point that you just made about like, it's actually just really fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I mean, it sounds a little bit cliche, but um, I don't think I would have just like, I, I don't think I would have gotten as much excitement or satisfaction out of just buying myself something with that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually do see it as an investment, not a financial investment. in, I guess like, that I see personal returns from, but it's sort of like an investment into like our like public infrastructure or society or something like that, where it's sort of like you're putting something down for hopefully those kind of returns back to the world somewhere. Um, which I think is kind of a nice way to think about philanthropy. So for me, it doesn't feel like, like, Oh, I could have spent this on yeah buying myself something fun. It's more of, I, I just think of it as like a different part of, I guess, my portfolio or, or where I spend money. Yeah, I think, well, and that's, um, there's this cool um, uh, video from Kyrgyzstat or however you say that, um, called Egoistic Altruism. Have you ever seen that video, by the way? What's that? Um, it's a it's a strange it's a video about um, when you're giving um, it, thinking about this this return on investment when most people think okay I have my money I want to give to the world and then my ROI will definitely be in dollars back to me eventually but there's actually as you say all these other ways to get ROI in the world that aren't as easily measurable which is like if you give money to people then they're contributing more to their communities and then those communities are stronger and then you're part of that community as well and so maybe like you know it will eventually come back to you um and this is kind of the idea in egoistic altruism is that if you bring other people up to your level 
then they will be trying to go for the same goals as you. Like, let's say I want to solve cancer or whatever. It's like, if I make more people that also want to solve cancer and and don't need to think about and can think about those long-term goals rather than like their basic needs, then my goal, which is to solve cancer, um, a really impactful way to do that is by letting other people try to solve that problem too. Um, and so I think there's a lot in this bucket. It's kind of weird to think about, but it's from a this weird mindset of giving to people and then eventually the money kind of comes back around. You get your return on investment, but it's not in the traditional like dollars back in your bank account way, which is it's kind of it's it's hard to think about like that. Um, so I've moving from from your mindset a bit away into like the friend mindset. Did you feel like something that I've so I've I've given not as much money as you, but um, I've given various amounts of money to random people on the internet and or to various nonprofit things and think that self-taxing is an important uh, thing that our society should do. Do you think that, um, but something that's been awkward is when I, when I tell my friends, like right now in society, you're allowed to tell your friends, hey, I'm a vegetarian because I'm doing good for the environment. Um, and it doesn't feel as moralizing perhaps. Um, but if you say, hey, friends, like I'm giving away my money to people and like you can too, there's kind of this weird vibe to it of like, oh, are you trying to get, are you better than me? Are you trying to give away, you're giving away money and I'm not or whatever. How, how, what has been your experience as you've talked, have you talked about this with your friends? What has been your experience in terms of um, their their response to to your giving? I'm really glad you, you brought up this question because, yeah, I totally have had a, a similar experience. Um, I don't exactly know how to talk about it or um, or what the takeaway is, but uh, I think it comes down to this thing about, like, well, the only people that usually just sort of, like, blatantly give away their money is usually, like, super, super wealthy people. And so, and, but then, like, obviously the amounts I'm giving away are not, like, evocative of someone who is super, super wealthy, like, and so, and so you and because it's not really like a common thing to do for someone in, I guess, like my socioeconomic class, um, it's, yeah, it, it just like, I think other people don't necessarily know what to do with it. Um, yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's been like really, really positive and, and there's no, there hasn't been anything directly negative except that, um, yeah, I mean, I've just gotten, I guess, a lot of solicitations from people who think I like must have a lot more money than I do to do something as, as just like giving thousands of dollars away to strangers, um, which I don't at all. <laughs> um, and so that's sort of an awkward thing to navigate. And then, and then, yeah, there's, I can, yeah, I sort of just like sense that awkwardness a little bit in conversation sometimes with people. And um, yeah, I'm not sure how to talk about it except to continually like reemphasize that I'm not like, I'm not super wealthy or anything. It's just sort of like an experiment that I like doing. Um, but even that I feel like is almost like an apology or a justification, which I don't feel like I should have to do. Um, yeah, it's like, why yeah, should you apologize no for giving money to people? <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of a strange thing. And I, I, it's, and like, I mean, it's funny that like with other, it's funny that it's just like a really awkward thing to talk. It shouldn't be. Cause it's like, you're doing interesting things for other people and enabling them. And like, that's kind of, it's like a fun project that to talk about, but like, it's made me want to be more private about it just because. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really want to send like weird signals in any direction. Yeah, I think it's, well, I think that at a base level, even if you weren't giving away money, just purely talking about money, people are find that a little bit awkward, you know? And then you're like, oh, like how much do you make in a year? How much money is in your bank account? Like people don't answer those questions. <laughs> um, for me with my self-giving stuff or my self-tax, it's like, when I gave it away, it's like, look, I have $10,000 in my bank account. I gave $3,000 away. Like, and I, and I kind of like, 
act and like kind of hyper aggressive with the transparency there. And I think that's worked out okay. Um, you kind of can push through the awkwardness by just being hyper, hyper transparent. Um, I think that an awkward piece in a difference maybe between you and I is that for me, kind of I'm I low level think that it would be good if everybody did it. And so I'm like pseudo trying to peer pressure everybody into doing it. While for you, it's more it sounds like it's more of just like a, an experiment that you're into um, and that you're, you you found fun. Is that is that accurate? Actually, I definitely do want more people to do, which I think is where I'm trying to like navigate the weirdness of it. And that like, in my mind, when I started doing it, it was like, Hey, like, I'm just kind of a random person who's doing this thing. Like you too can also do it. Um, and I think instead it's kind of in some, in some ways being taken as like, Oh, you're capable of doing this, but I'm not. And, uh, yeah, I really want to get over that hump to say like, this is actually something I think should be normalized. It's not that I'm doing something exceptional. It's that like, I would just like more people to be doing it. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you're trying to be like, look, I'm so special. It's just like, look, I feel like most of us could probably do this. <laughs> you know? Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Th- one other piece here, which I think is fascinating is so there's this whole, there's a balance between um, it's, it's thinking about virtue signaling and thinking about, okay, if we're out there in the world, it's like, hey, I'm a person who does good things. Am I allowed to talk about those good things? And there's like, on one side, it's like, there are people who are hyper aggressive in terms of um, they're not actually doing that good of things, but they like, talk about the things that they're doing and like make it seem like they're super virtuous. Um, but um, on the other hand, it's like if you are doing s- virtuous things that are super impactful, then those should be shared. Um, and so like how do you think about this like about virtue signaling in general and like this balance between like sharing that you've had impact? Um, ver- yeah. Any thoughts on virtue signaling? Yeah. it's. Um, I think it's useful when it incentivizes other people to do something similar, um, which is, I think like one of the, the things I've most enjoyed is not just the, uh, giving grants, but also seeing other people pitch in grants has been like, to me, that's almost like the more impactful part of if you can encourage other people to kind of like match your purchasing feeling, that's, that's a good thing. Um, but then on the other hand, yeah, I'm just like a very, I think probably like overly private person about like my personal life and circumstances and things like that. So like, I don't really want to, um, yeah, it's just sort of a trade off of like how, how much do you, yeah, at what point does it stop being beneficial and actually and just sort of be net negative on my life? But I, I try to sort of like think of it as an equation of there are definitely advantages, but um, but at what point does it become like unbearable for me versus like I'm just kind of a little bit uncomfortable? Yep, 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 exactly. Okay, well, interesting. Well, so I hope that this conversation for our listeners was a way to say, hey, here are two people that exist on the internet who are actively giving um, away some of their money. And they don't have necessarily that much, uh, but we clearly have a lot in the big scheme of things. Um, and you too um, <laughs> can either give money to random people on the internet um, or give money to nonprofits or whatever. Um, and you can choose whether you signal it to others. Okay, so let's transition to um, funding public infrastructure. And the funny thing about this is Nadia and I have actually been um, dealing with some some audio issues for our calls, so this is a perfect time to to chat about this stuff. Um, so, and the question that you have here is, how do we design a sustainable internet? Um, you had this great um, you know report with the Ford Foundation two and a half years ago, Roads and Bridges. Um, so, could you kind of explain the ideas and the theses in, in Roads and Bridges, and then also talk about how things have changed um, in the last two and a half years? Yes. Um, so initially, I think I didn't. I kind of came at it from a very specific um, head sound kind of perspective, which was um, talking to maintainers of open source projects and realizing that like open source was not really as well supported as we thought it was going to be. Um, and, the, and the way I kind of came into that was just, I was, I was looking for things in tech that 
um, didn't fall into the venture capital funding bucket, um, but we're still providing a lot of value to society. Because I feel like there had to be some sort of like overlap there. Um, and But I, I felt like among my friends in working in startups um, and working in venture capital, like the assumption was that if anything is valuable in technology, like you should be able to find venture funding for it. And there's an assumption that any sort of like valuable tech contribution has some sort of uh, potential for a high value return. Um, and so that's how I, I didn't, I, I wasn't expecting to find or to land on, on open source at that point. Um, but I kind of like, yeah, came into, came into that whole uh, section of the internet as sort of like, oh, oh, there are all these open source projects that basically all the software that we're using and um, even from, I guess, like proprietary companies. Um, so if you think about like Facebook or Google or Amazon or whomever, like all of them are in turn relying upon this sort of like complex web of different open source projects that are cobbled together um, and that all companies are building on top of. And so I was thinking of this sort of as a version of like digital infrastructure that is supporting all of us and all of our activities on the internet, the same way we have like an electric grid um, or any other sort of like roads or bridges or things like that. Um, in our physical world that are supporting our ability to get around and communicate with each other. Um, and so, yeah, the the report that I did with the Ford Foundation in 2016 was um, called Rosa Bridges, and it was just trying to draw this parallel between saying um, this stuff isn't like hobbyist type work anymore. Um, I think people just don't really like see or talk about open source that much. Um, software developers are kind of just like pulling this stuff into their code and not really thinking about where it all comes from. Like, why do you have all these libraries that are immediately available to you? Where do your programming languages come from? Like, who is actually creating and maintaining all of this stuff that we're using that makes it very easy for developers to build new things on top of it that they can then monetize? Um, and yeah, it was basically just trying to like shine a light on that and um, make a point that this is sort of an area that we're not really discussing, um, specifically with regard to open source developers and um, the fact that like, I mean, this stuff is either not at all funded or not very well funded. Um, and then like, regardless of funding, it's just like a really difficult, thankless kind of job. Um, no one really like sees the stuff that they're doing and no one really appreciates it. Um, but then like more broadly, I think the goal of the report was to, to point out that we do have this idea of like digital infrastructure. And I think that's not just open source code, but it's a lot of other things um, that the internet is enabling. And that um, if we think about sort of like, we have this sort of like, internet side of our, our lives or our world um, that is a, a parallel to our physical world. Um, like where, yeah, where is all that infrastructure? Like what, what sort of sorts of things do we need to be supporting to ensure that we're able to communicate with each other and create all the things that we want to create on the internet? Um, and yeah, the response has been over the past couple of years, um, like way, <laughs> way better than I could have hoped. Um, I really was just sort of trying to like document um, the conversations that I've been having with open source developers at the time and um, had not really expected that I'd get the response that I did. So that was really great. Um, and I do think that like at this stage, um, I don't, I, the, the most, I guess, the way that I feel the impact the most is that I don't have to really explain the problem that much anymore to people in the software industry. Um, and they'll often like come to me first being like, well, you know, um, open source is not that well supported or like, you know, sustainability really matters in open source. And that's the part I think where I feel happiest is just sort of like having it be an issue that people will talk about and um, like every solution for each open source project is just different. Um, I don't think there's just like one blanket answer to like all the world's problems. Um, but the fact that it's sort of like a top of mind problem and something that people are thinking and talking about is really important to me.
Yeah, that's cool. I think an an interesting thing that I learned in your in the piece is that in 2010, only 40% of um, software projects of whatever, like 1,300 surveyed, said that the products that they're building for customers were built on open source. So in 2010, it was only 40%, but then in 2015, it had doubled to 80%. Um, and so it's like, woof, you know, a lot of a lot of people are building stuff with open source as a part of their stack in some, to some extent. Um, and I think that, as you say, it's become more um, clear in these last couple of years as, as with various like the open uh, or the open SSL hack and whatever. And more, most recently, there's been in the crypto world, um, there's this node package manager that was um, this a new someone who was not maintaining um, a certain module, um, copay dash dash. Um, he wasn't really maintaining it because he doesn't get paid. Um, and then this, this other person said, hey, I'll maintain it. And the person was like, oh, yeah, sweet, you can maintain it. And then that person added an injection that would like send Bitcoin from people's wallets to folks. Um, and that was a, a big, could have been, it, luckily nothing that bad happened from it. But I think that was a great example of like what the open source maintainer lifestyle is like, which is like, look, I was excited by this back in the day. I wasn't paid for it. Now I don't do it anymore and I haven't done it for a couple of years. And this random person said they wanted to help. And so, yeah, of course I gave him the thing. And then it turns out, because everything is so complex and interconnected, that person could um, then use an injection that would then send Bitcoin to to them. So, like, what do you think about that hack? And like, um, and especially thinking about like funding stuff within the, the crypto ecosystem or how the crypto ecosystem changes um, this this open source economic mindset. Yeah, it's um, the the recent Surf event stream um, that module was really interesting. Mm-hmm. In that I think it just highlighted just how complicated the whole problem is. Whereas I feel like with um, Heartbleed, it was very I think in that in that case it was more the open SSL hack. It was like a much or vulnerability. Um, it was is much more clearly a case of like this is a really critical and underfunded kind of project. And I found uh, this story with Dominic Tarr to be interesting because it wasn't just really about money. It was also about um, the fact that I mean he maintains like hundreds of modules. And this is I think something more particular to um, the NPM ecosystem. But it wasn't just that he wasn't getting paid to maintain that particular module. And he himself was like, you know, this isn't even like my best work. This is just sort of <laughs> one of many things that I maintain. Um, but it's that his attention is just spread over so many different smaller projects. Um, like a maintainer's attention is just like really, really finite. Um, and I think the the fact that he handed over to someone else was, um, he, he, he followed best practices exactly here, which is like, it wasn't that he was lazy or that he just like didn't care or something like that, but it was it was more that like this is a thing like in open source is considered to be a best practice is if someone asks to help you out, you should just be like trusting strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, like he followed the the protocol exactly, and in fact, like this often happens with projects, and it turns out to be just fine, um, which is why they recommend doing it. Um, the fact that that is considered to be a best practice is really what the problem is to me where, um, and he wrote down to this really uh, great statement about the whole situation where he, he said something like, uh, he, one time he was like working as a dishwasher and he made the mistake of being too competent and he got promoted. Uh, but he, the pay rise was only like 50 cents an hour or something like that. And it came with all these responsibilities mm-hmm. and he was saying like, that is basically what it's like to be an open source maintainer where you, you know, you, you write something maybe for yourself or because you kind of want to share it out. Um, and it becomes really, really popular. And the only thing you get back in exchange for being really popular is just like more work to do. And there's no incentive to actually like continue doing that work. Cause what, what else do you get from it once the project becomes popular? Um, and so there's this really interesting sort of phenomenon where um, I think normally when we think about consumer demand rising, <laughs> uh, the incentive to produce should increase. 
um, you should like want to meet that consumer demand. But instead, what you see with um, not just open source maintenance, but I think it's true for like content production in general, like you see some sort of like the producer sees some sort of like benefit for a while. And then at some point, even as consumer demand is increasing for the thing that you made, then your desire to keep producing it just like tanks. Um, and that's basically exactly what happened. Um, so yeah, I think like in particular with this story, it was, it just showed that it was really complicated and that like he was following best practices. Um, money could have helped in a broader sense for him, but not for that one particular project because it was so small. And then it really underscores just sort of like open source at scale doesn't look like open source from the good old days of like, you know, early free software or something like that like you can't just hand this stuff off to a stranger because sometimes <laughs> strangers on the internet when you're dealing with like millions of people is like are not always going to do nice things. Yeah, and I think and the and as you say, once you as the um the the magnitude of the impact of these decisions gets larger it's like if it was only sending you know and receiving information off the internet that's one thing but once you add in money as a, as a component here um then that gets very sketchy because then you're like and i'm thinking about like formal verification you think about um when you want to formally verify things is when you have high dollars per lines of code so this is something like you know rocket ships have a high there's not that much code but rocket ships are super expensive and so you should probably formally verify it or something like you know in cryptocurrency world lots of money going across it so if possible if you can formally verify it that's great and i think within this the as more things get injected with the crypto web of value and the network of value um the downside of mistakes um within the crypto or within the open source ecosystem or mistakes or or um vulnerabilities or whatever uh, will go up so i guess one final question to wrap up here and then we'll be done is do you you know, connecting back to crypto in another way, I know you did a recent um, a recent uh, post and some research on a lot of different crypto grant programs, um, like you know the Zcash Foundation grant program, and I think uh, Dash and maybe Monero. How are you thinking about grant program? And, and you work for Protocol Labs, and, and they have Filecoin and whatever. How are you thinking about? Um, you know the crypto grant uh, ecosystem in general, um, and and how and how it relates to your work with Roads and Bridges. I think crypto is useful sort of as like one of these, um, I don't actually know what they're called, but like like an ink dye test kind of thing where like you inject ink and then you kind of like see where it kind of like travels around in the system or something like that. Mm. Um, because there is money attached to this version of open source technology in a way that um, with the rest of open source technology, maybe it's just not as obvious. Um, I think it will like sort of like force a lot of interesting issues and I guess like reflections um, on, yeah, what does the entire open source ecosystem look like? And so grant programs in crypto projects are like not necessarily replicable for a lot of open source projects because a lot of them just like, I mean, crypto has like the luxury of being able to fund a lot of things and just has this like flood of capital, which like doesn't necessarily translate back to the rest of the open source ecosystem. But you can kind of look at it as a sort of like uh, snapshot into the future or something like that to say, well, if if an open source project did have an abundance of money, like how would they spend it or, or what would those patterns look like? And so I, I kind of see it as a sort of like separate thing you can kind of put under the microscope and use to understand um, some of the more like theoretical unanswered questions in the rest of open source. Um, I won't try to project into the future of like how how much those two worlds are actually going to overlap or converge. Um, I think it would be great if crypto could be 
this sort of like business model for a lot of open source projects, but I not necessarily, I, I think to some extent it's all just going to be kind of different. Um, but I think it's, at least for now, the useful part is that it's something that we can watch and learn from and just try to like understand like where are, where is all that ink traveling around the system and, um, and yeah, what are all these different patterns of behavior that we can observe and, and maybe draw some learnings from. Yeah, I like that. I think, yeah, the patterns of ink, it's like now that everything has bug bounties on it, essentially with money behind them, well, then the people will find the vulnerabilities. Um, and then, as you say, also, it's like if we start to do these weird worlds, it's like if we hyper-capitalize some of these weird open source projects, what happens? Um, I don't know. We're going to find out. It hasn't been done before, so so we'll see what goes down. Um, so with that, um, Nadia, thank you again for being on the show today um, and both chatting about the how we can, you know, self-tax ourselves and give money back to the system and how, um, you know, open source, uh, you know, internet infrastructure, um, the economics of that and, 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 the, and the business models there. Um, and by the way, if you want to give, you can give to open source. Um, you can connect one to two by giving to open source. Um, one final question for you, just where should people find you like on Twitter? Uh, Twitter handle is Nayafia, so uh, at uh, N-A-Y-A-F-I-A. Boom. Perfect. Um, and anything else you want to say before we wrap? No, this is great. Thanks for talking with me. Yeah. Excited to have you on. Um, and thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time on Gray Mirror. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.